listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for everyone for joining episode 207. How's it going, Mark? It's going awesome, Paige, but you know what? We have a bit of a predicament at OGG and corporate headquarters, don't we? What's that? We had some very high-end custom-ordered Apple machines that were supposed to be delivered, and nobody knows where they are. Yeah, that's kind of the debacle. Yeah. So we'll keep the audience tuned to what happened to our Apple machines that took a month to get here and then just disappear. But speaking of taking time to get here, we got some great reviews, two of them. So first one, five-star review, great podcast for oil and gas professionals. I stumbled upon this podcast about two weeks ago and been listening nonstop every day. I seriously went all the way back. This group has so much knowledge. And as a woman in the industry, it's so great to hear Paige on the podcast as a host. Keep up the great work, y'all. Yay. That's from Vicki Alvarado, 88. Yeah. And if she went all the way back, Vicki needs- <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of podcast listening. And then another five-star review, awesome information. I've been a huge fan for three plus years now. Start listening to college when they visit my university. Tulane. And my, yeah. My friends and I have agreed the information learned here is a great way to start to understand this incredibly complex market as you move into professional life from Alec from the Process Engineer. So if you want to shout out on the show and if you want to help us support the show and our, wait, what are we up to? 11? Because we have two new shows. After. Between the podcast summit, I have a sick dog and and just everything going, I don't know anymore. Yeah. I have to go look at my board. Yeah. So we just have a whole bunch of oil and gas podcasts. You want to support that whole group. Best way to do it is leave us a review. If you love what we're doing, we'd love to have a five-star review. And if you see some room and improvement, let us know. All right, Paige, let's get into news stories. All right, so Russian power plant spills thousands of tons of oil into Arctic Ocean. Yeah, so the funny thing about this, if anybody's known me for any length of time, when I talk about the environmental responsibility of large oil and gas companies, I always ask the question, have you ever heard of a Russian or Chinese oil spill? And the answer is always no. And then I say, well, that means one of two things. They're either better at it than American and European companies, or they don't ever tell. And so why would Russia all of a sudden tell that they had a, a spill? Well, uh, Yeah, it seeped into a rather large ocean. Rather large river and lake, yep, and then the ocean. But the real reason they told is because it was a v visible on satellite, so they could not lie. We could see the spillage happening. And then it's, you know, they're going to end up, they're working on cleaning it up. To what degree they clean it up, I don't know. But they had over 20,000 U.S. tons that had spilled. And I had did the math before. It's like some crazy 500 million gallons of diesel they basically spilled. And so what they're blaming it on is a failure in the tanks that were holding everything. And they say the failure was caused by the thawing of the permafrost. Well, let me tell you, we built that little thing called the Alaskan pipeline, right? We do a lot of work in very cold parts of the world. You can engineer for permafrost. And so I'm glad this actually was big. It sounds horrible. I'm glad this is actually big enough to show up on satellite imagery. So Russia has to own this and take care of it. I'm really hoping they do what it takes to clean this up. It's not an enormous cleanup because of the remoteness of the location. The problem is, is it's swampy. And as you and I know, Paige, being from the <laughs> swampy part of the U.S., it's much more work when you're cleaning up diesel from swamp muck than it is when you're cleaning it up from just dry sand. Oh, yeah. So 
you know, they're still working on, it's going to take months for them to clean this up. The good thing is from satellite images, you can always see they have booms out there, which means they've at least contained it. You know, so hopefully they get this thing cleaned up and and whoever did the, the engineering on this, this project probably needs to go back and revisit other projects that worked on as, as far as permafrost. But I just thought it was crazy. It took two days to report to the government. It took two days to report because nobody wants to admit something went wrong over there. I know. It's but- not like they get slapped with an EPA fine when something goes wrong over there. People, it's, yeah. it's worse. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the next one is U.S. fracturing slowdown led to duck wells pileup. What does duck stand for, Paige? Drilled but uncompleted. Very good. And so that's a real important thing to understand. So when you go to drill a well, that's one set of tools and rigs and crew. Then once it's drilled, a different set of tools and rigs and crew comes to complete it. It's a different step in the process. You complete a well to go into production. In this ridiculously low crude price market, it doesn't make any sense to start completing wells. In fact, you're seeing the opposite happen. You're seeing operators basically turn the valves off. What this article is, is just a fact that there's a lag time. Before everything started happening at the beginning of this year, a bunch of companies were drilling wells looking for a pretty much normal 2020. Well, obviously, it's not a normal 2020. <laughs> and so these ducks piled up. This will be taken care of as the price eases back up as we approach 2021. The wells that make financial sense will be brought online. They'll go in production. Once they're in production, they're no longer a duck well, and you'll see the duck levels drop back down to normal. So this is just to be expected. Yeah. Okay, so strike secures rig for Q3 spud of West Irregular 3. Yeah, this is the Perth Basin of Australia. What's really interesting, there's stuff going on right now in Australia. Like Chevron backed out of one of its joint ventures, LNG ventures, in the north part of Australia, although they've doubled down on the stuff they've worked in the south. Here, Strike Energy is getting ready. And if you don't know what spud a well is, that's basically when you do all the work to put the bit to the ground. So you haven't drilled. You're piercing the earth. You're piercing the earth. But that means building roads and cleaning and grubbing the ground and, and putting up containment, all that sort of stuff. What's cool about this is this is a longer-term rig contract with uh, Inside Energy Services, and they could drill three irregular wells in North Perth Basin of Western Australia. What's so noteworthy about this is somebody signed a contract to bring rigs online. As an industry, we want more of this. We want more rigs to be brought online in different parts of the world. So this is a, a joint venture with a Wergo Energy. They each hold 50%. It's just really cool to see them putting rigs and crews to work in Australia. Okay, so now we have Mountain Valley Gas Pipeline to enter service early 2021. Yeah, this is a little bit over a 300-mile natural gas pipeline in the Virginias, if I remember right. It's operated by EKM Midstream Partners. It's just about finished. It's just ready to come online. They caught a lot of flack, naturally, from the anti-pipeline people. They've worked through all the red tape. They had to go through a couple of biological assessments, you know, so environmental stabilization. But it looks like they're going to hit their start date within within about a week. And they only had a price increase of about 5% with all the environmental accuracy. That's not bad. No, not bad at all. And the reason it's not bad at all is that EQM Midstream has gotten the hang of how to deal with pipeline protesters and how to deal with it from a, a legal point of view, from a public perception point of view. And so this is just to help reduce the cost of electricity in Virginia. So it's, I'm glad they were able to bring this thing online. Yeah, and it goes through the, it'll carry from the Marcellus and the Utica. Yep. Okay. All right. So top oil refiners aim to boost synthetic fuel sales. Seems like we talked about this earlier in one of our past shows. I think we did. Yeah. And so, so basically you can make fuels from hydrocarbons and it's ridiculously easy, inexpensive, and super energy dense fuels. Great, great fuels, right? But you can also make liquid fuels from other things. And so one of the advantages of making liquid fuels from other things is that you can reduce the carbon 
amount of carbon that is released, right? And so you hear stuff called syngas. Syngas is, is literally the beginning of this, and it's a mixture of carbon monoxide and hydrogen. The carbon monoxide and hydrogen, the raw feedstock of that comes from coal and biomass. So you're basically recreating the hydrocarbon molecule in a way that has less carbon in it so that when you burn it, you have less carbon emissions. Now, you can't do this very cheaply. It can be done. It's just like clean coal. You can run clean coal operations, but by the time you clean it up, it's just prohibitively expensive compared to natural gas. So this whole story about some of the top refiners in Europe unveiled a plan to start producing more synthetic fuels or what's called LCLS, low carbon liquid fuels. And they're doing this to help meet the CO2 emission standards that's been set in Europe. Now, do I think this is going to work from a financial point of view? Only if the government steps in to subsidize this. Just like things like ethanol here in the U.S., it doesn't make fiscal sense to use ethanol or to blend ethanol in gasoline. But if the government steps in and pays you to do it, then it makes fiscal sense. This is the same thing here. You know, Europe, the emissions of modern cars are so minute compared to 10 or 15 years ago that if you're really looking to reduce your CO2 output, look at your electrical generation techniques. Why would you pass on the extra cost for fuel for your citizens and for your industries by creating a synthetic fuel that's going to be more expensive where you have a liquid fuels made from hydrocarbons sitting right there? So this is just another political thing. We'll see where the EU policymakers go with this. I, I got a feeling after they come through this COVID-19 lockdown, rioting, crazy year, this might be lower on their list of things to take care of once they convene back in, in their version of Congress. Okay, so EIA raises oil price forecasts. Yeah, so EIA should call me. Uh, we, have, <laughs> we, we, we have a difference in opinion on what we think WTIs could be at at the first quarter of 2021. Their think it's going to be up to about $43, $44. I think it's going to be up to $65. Once again, in 2020, anybody's guess is probably a good guess. It's been such a crazy year. Trying to get a handle on how much oil is in storage is almost impossible, no matter what anybody else says. Our production numbers have dropped as long as, as well as OPEC's and Russia's, which is a good thing. But our industry, especially the upstream side, tends to be very cyclic. So when you have a low crude price environment, it tends to rebound to a high crude price environment and back and forth. So we'll see how good the EIA gets. They work really hard in getting this number well. There's a lot of very large corporations that depend on using this number to figure out what they're going to do in the future as far as budgeting and hedging. I just think the numbers could be substantially higher in what they're forecasting. We'll see. Yeah, we should do bets. <laughs> <laughs> With the EIA? <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. I don't think that's legal. But anyway, Corpus Christi Oil Expert Terminal comes online as shipments fall. Yeah, just bad luck for them. But good thing for Corpus Christi, I think we talked about this maybe a year ago, but you know, due to the Shell Revolution during normal times, we literally produce more sweet crude than we can consume or we want to consume. So we can export it to the rest of the world. So countries like Central and South America can then provide cheap, reliable fuels and electricity to their people. And it just, it works for everybody. You know, our operators make money. The people that build the pipelines make money. The people that build the export terminals make money. The people that move it in the super tankers make money. The countries that buy it make money. And then the people get cheap, reliable electricity. So this is just talking about how this project's coming online. It's been it's about a, almost a $4 million a day project of transport. And they were actually being able to load very large super tankers because they built this project so far out in the Gulf. And then, of course, COVID-19 hits. Yeah. <laughs> the lockdown hits. And it's just a bad time for them. In the grand scheme of things, if you look at the financials over this, over, say, a 10-year period, this will just be a blip on the radar. But right now, it's just they're just not going to make the money they thought they were making in 2020. Now, there's still a demand for exporting our crude, but the price of that crude is less. 
So, you know, give it a couple months and they'll be back to where they need to be to be profitable. It's just really cool as a Texan to see this thing come online. All right. Next up is Neptune reports North Sea permit win executive update. Yeah. So there's a part of North Sea where if you're a geologist or geophysicist, you almost know everything about it because it's so mature. It's been studied so much. And so that part of the North Sea is actually very easy to make money in because you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. And so people fight for, for those drilling permits. And that's exactly what they're talking about here is that the Norwegian Petroleum Directorate has granted Neptune Energy, who's, who's a big upstream operator in the North Sea, the ability to drill some more wells in that very profitable area. February of 2017, which is the last data I could find, there were 882 licenses awarded. So this is not a small volume activity area of the world. But Paige, the North Sea is an environmental challenge. What they consider normal weather is something that that here in Houston would would devastate us. Well, it's so cold and 30 and 40 foot waves. And, you know, sometimes you can't get crew boats for months out to the rigs. And sometimes you can't get helicopters out there. They work a different rotation. They don't work the seven and seven. They work the 30 and 30 because of the weather extremes out there. You have to wear a survival suit. Your survival time, if you fall in the water, is measured in minutes. Oh, my gosh. Not the survival suit. Yeah. But- A lot of activity up there, very mature part of upstream oil and gas industry. You know, Norway figured out a long time ago, then the rest of the world kind of came in there. So it's just cool to see, once again, people starting to drill again. Yeah. And not only did they get one permit, they got two. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive in itself. Very impressive. And two, I can't remember if they're public or not, but if they are public, their shareholders are going to be loving that. Yes. um, All right. So oil and gas conversations surge on Twitter. That's because of me. (laughs) (laughs) since this lockdown i've been on twitter more than i have been before it's interesting right so of all the social media platforms in my humble opinion please no hate mail from twitter twitter hasn't grown up yet twitter hasn't figured out what it wants to be when it grows up and so you see a little bit of everything you get some really high quality instant news but you also see more trolls on that platform than i see anywhere else and you have a bunch of people that troll just for trolling right and in my world that's not Valuable. I don't want to spend my time reading other people, dogging other people, other companies. But it's really interesting since this COVID-19 thing has happened, this lockdown, social media platforms have had a bump in activity. We've had a bump in activity. Right? Oh, yeah. Right. So everybody's at home is bored. So they're listening to more of our podcasts, which we love. So this is from the Global Data all and gas exploration influencer platform. They they track all these social media channels. And it's really cool. They've been tracking since 2016. And they said that the Twitter traffic is up over 100% in the last three months. Say that three times fast. No, I I barely (laughs) would get it out one time. I couldn't say Twitter and Surge, so that's cool. So you know what? Good for Jack Dorsey and Twitter. You know, they're getting traffic from the oil and gas industry. I wish the platform would be a little bit more valuable, but, you know, we'll see where it goes. It would be really cool if if we start seeing more valuable oil and gas conversations in that, what is it, 141 characters or less? I have no idea. You don't remember? No, I don't really use it. You're not on Twitter? I'm on there. I just don't use it. I don't know why. It just it doesn't appeal to me. Like you said, there's not a lot of value there. Yeah. But I'm there. Mark underscore LaCour, if you want to chat me up on Twitter. Don't say that word. Don't say chat me up. That means something. We, we got schooled on that from what that means in Europe. Yeah. yeah. No. If you would like to engage with me on Twitter, Mark there underscore There you LaCour. go. There you go. All right. So next, Spark Cognition and Siemens team up on AI-driven cyber defense system for endpoint energy assets. This is so cool because we had Spark Cognition on one of our shows, maybe he's in a modal point video, years ago when they were like three-man operation. I remember talking to him at, I can't even remember which conference, but they were all the way in the back. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it's really cool to see them grow this much. And the fact they're collaborating with Simmons is huge. You know, we've talked about cybersecurity a decent amount on this show. If you go to Oil & Gas Tech Show, we talk about cybersecurity all the time because the attacks on our industry are on the rise dramatically, not only in the volume, but in the sophistication. You know, when I got involved in the in the oil and gas industry in the late 80s, early 90s, the cyber attack was people phishing phone systems, right? So they'd hack into Halliburton's PBX and they would make long distance calls. And that was like the extent that it was. Yeah, That's it was, lame. Yeah, it was, it was a bunch of kids that were bored, right? Yeah, well, that makes sense. Now it's state-sponsored attacks, some of the smartest cyber criminals in the world using some of the most sophisticated equipment. And they're looking for all kinds of stuff, including financial information. And so as an industry, we all of a sudden have been made aware that we're these huge targets. And then in the last five years, we become targets for cyber terrorism. You know, the people that don't like our industry would like nothing better than to hack in a pipeline and cause some spillage somewhere so they could point fingers at how environmentally unresponsive we are. And so we got to guard against all that. And I just think it's cool that Simmons, which is a huge process control company, among other things, and Spark Cognition have teamed together and, and actually helping protect our nation's or our world's critical infrastructure. I mean, it's not just cyber attacks here in the U.S. It's happening all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we need help in this double black swan event, what we don't need is, number one, loss of revenue. Unfortunately, people getting hurt because of some cyber criminal or more black eyes in public. So I just think this is really cool. That they're working together and that they're out there protecting assets in our industry. Okay, so OPEX number two is planning to develop huge Gas reserves. If you've heard us talk any length of time, you know, you've, you've heard me talk about the Middle East and, and OPEC and they're predominantly, they have one part of the value chain, which is exporting crude oil. And now in the last, say, six years or so, they're looking to tap into more of the, the value chain, things like downstream. Well, here they are looking at actually tapping into natural gas reserves. They're eventually going to start building the facilities needed to convert to LNG so they can export around the world. But Paige, you may not know this, the amount of natural gas that the Middle East flares is unfrickin' believable. What they report is four times what gets flared in Texas. Now, that's what they report. So what they actually do is way higher than that. And here's Iraq, who is probably one of the worst as far as flaring. And, I mean, they've had issues since the original Gulf War, right, when we had to go back in and, and, and cap all those wells that were intentionally set on fire. Well, they flared a zillions of, of tons of natural gas. And they've never really spent time to, to stop the flaring. And now it looks like they are. And they're doing it for financial reasons, which makes total sense. So, you know, politically, they need to get more in line with the rest of OPEC and, and try to at least look like they're meeting some of the mission standards that the rest of the world is trying to create. The other thing is it reduces import of electricity from Iran. And the number one way they can reduce their import of electricity from Iran is produce their own. And the best way they can produce their own as far as cost and environment is use this flared gas for electrical generation. So let's see how it comes together. That part of the world, you know, regardless of what you think politically, has just been war-torn for so long. It's so hard for them to build infrastructure. And it's what's holding the population back and the people back. So, you know, let's hope that they can actually start capturing this flare glass, start using it, eventually start selling it, which would just add to their bottom line. And maybe, just maybe, they can get out of this mess they've been in for 15 or 20 years and the people of Iraq can actually benefit. Okay, so you're going to love this one. J.P. Morgan predicts $100 oil. Come on, J.P. Morgan. Call me before y'all put stuff out like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's clickbait headlines. If you read the article, they're basically saying that the what I just said earlier, that our nature is, their upstream part of our industry is cyclic. And as prices go down, countries and companies quit or lower production, which then caused the oversupply to go down, which then means that at some point, if they're not careful, there'll be an undersupply and the price goes up. 
So they're talking here. They think oil could hit $109 a barrel by 2025. I would love it. <laughs> Actually, honestly, no, I wouldn't because that would that's that's created another Incredible. Uh, downturn. Um, yep. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I think by the first quarter of 2021, we'll be at $65 a barrel for WTI. The natural gas prices starting to slowly but organically creak up here in the U.S., which is good. You know, here's an article that goes off to the extreme. It's really kind of clickbait, but they do have a very good point. And our industry, the pendulum swings one way and then the other. The problem is trying to predict in the future how far that pendulum's going to swing. Makes sense. Up oh, Norway again. Norway sweetens deal in the latest mature oil area offering. Yeah, we talked about this earlier. So once again, there's some blocks in the very mature part of the, the North Sea that are called predefined areas or awards and predefined areas, APAs. And because that part of the shelf is so well studied from a geophysical point of view, if you go in there as an operator, you know what you're getting yourself into. So it's very easy to make money. So it looks like they licensed 60 new production licenses, 28 companies. We just talked about a couple of those companies earlier. Mm-hmm. And so once again, you know, you hear all this stuff geopolitically, especially Norway. Even Norway says we're getting away from hydrocarbons. We're investing our sovereign wealth fund and other things. Well, Norway, with 69 new production licenses, probably at several million dollars each, still looks like you're making money from the oil and gas industry, which, which is awesome. That's one of the, even considering the weather extremes, that's where a lot of the real containment systems were developed and built when something goes wrong because it's so bad when things do go wrong over there. And a lot of the the really high tech stuff, like the first time I ever heard of digital oil field was a shell subsea installation where they digitalized everything. And that was in the 90s in the North Sea. So a lot of innovation comes out of the North Sea. It is interesting to see that as their fields mature, you're seeing the big players get out and they get out because they know the small, smaller, more nimble players can come in these mature fields and make money when they can't. But once again, here's Norway auction off some leases, basically, just like we do in the Gulf of Mexico, in areas that are very easy to make money at. And you're seeing a company snap it up left and right. All right. So Aramco completes acquisition of 70% stake in Sabic. Yeah, this is just what Aramco's doing, right? So big part of sorry, Aramco's business is on the downstream side, right? And so this is really interesting from a public company point of view. So Saudi Basic Industries Corporation, which is SABIC, bought from the public investment fund of Saudi Aramco, which is the new public part, $69 billion worth of their downstream business. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of money. This is going right along with Aramco's downstream business. You know, they're very big petrochemicals, very big refiners, especially here in the U.S. So the Motiva complexes, which you've heard of here in the U.S., are, already, are actually owned by Saudi Aramco. It was a joint venture with Shell and Saudi Aramco. And then about two or three years ago, they divvied it up. Shell took some of those refineries. Saudi Aramco took some of the other refineries. And so I actually know the CIO at Saudi Aramco. Before this COVID-19 lockdown, the chief digital officer had reached out to us and wanted to meet with us for Saudi Aramco, right? Why? Because he thinks we're doing cool stuff. Okay. And he wanted us to make some introductions to the companies that were also doing cool stuff. Okay. And of course, it, it didn't happen. But this is good business for them. And you know, you hear, I get feedback sometimes or pushback about talking about Saudi Aramco and, and Motiva in New Orleans and, and other parts in the US saying, well, that's Saudi money and Saudi oil. No, it's not. Let me tell you who runs those Motiva plants. It's your neighbor. It's your cousin. It's your dad. It's your uncle. That money's paid in U.S. dollars and it pays U.S. workers and it pays U.S. taxes. 
Is the parent owned by Saudi Aramco? Yeah, but let me tell you what. You know what's in Qatar right now, or you know what's in Saudi Arabia right now? Exxon footprints. Yeah. Right. So we got you know it works both ways, and they run good business. I love the fact that for a downstream company, they're really heavily invested in technology. This just makes sense to add to their portfolio. Smooth move by them, especially right now when refining is not good money because the world's still locked down. This would be a good investment that's going to multiply in value very quickly. All right. So here's the last one. U.S. EPA receives fifty. 50- two new petitions for retroactive biofuel blending waivers. And I remember talking about this before. Yeah, this is one of the things that chaps my butt. So basically, imagine, Paige, you had a business selling, I'm going to make something up, shoes. Okay. Right? And so you built all the, you did all the work, all the effort to manufacturing, sourcing raw goods. You set up retail all over around the world. You have logistics. And finally, your shoe business is taken off. And then the U.S. government comes to you and goes, Paige, in the U.S., your shoe business you have 25% of your shoes you sell has to be from your competitors. How what? fair is that? Not. Yeah. Well, that's what this is. So you have biofuels. And in the U.S., specifically, ethanol is the one that's used the most. And you have something called the Renewable Fuel Standard, which is basically the government telling Chevron they have to add ethanol, which is a competing product, to their fuel supplies. Ethanol is not good for internal combustion engines. It absorbs water out the air. People always go, well, Mark, it's great in Brazil. Well, in Brazil, they have a skip, a step that we in the U.S. can't skip that they skip. So in Brazil, they mass sugar cane. They get sugar right. from that. They ferment it. Then they distill it, right? And so then they get ethanol, which is the same alcohol you drink or the same thing burns in your car. In the U.S., we don't have that right climate conditions. So we have to use corn, but corn doesn't have any sugar in it. So you have to harvest the corn, then you have to malt it, which uses millions of gallons of water. Then that malting process turns to starts to sugar. Then you can distill it. So in the U.S., the government subsidized every gallon of ethanol by a dollar, right? If you remove that subsidy, all of a sudden, it's not economically viable. And it's so funny, Paige, if you look at maps of the U.S. and you look at where E85 are the vehicles that the manufacturers say can burn a higher mix of ethanol, if you look at where all the E85 vehicles are in the U.S., they're on the east and west coast. There's no E85 gas stations on the East and West Coast. All the E85 gas stations are in the middle of the country where they grow corn. Right. So this is a bunch of companies going, look, this is not fair. It hasn't been fair forever. You're making me buy my competitor's product that you are subsidizing. Let's get rid of this. And so our current administration is very much pro getting rid of the renewable fuel standards. So what this is is a kind of in-between movement where they're going to actually let – have some retroactive biofuel blending waivers, which means they can be able to go back in the past to the companies that didn't blend biofuels and say it was okay. Hopefully, knock on wood, somewhere in the future, we'll just get rid of this. I have nothing against biofuels. I have nothing against ethanol, but compete in the market, bottom line. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So speaking of competing in the market, we had just went through our first annual Oil & Gas Podcast Summit. If you had a chance to join, thank you for joining. Quite honestly, a minute and 37 seconds before we were going to go live, we had all these technical difficulties caused by the thousands of people trying to get on at once. But do you remember the one guy that had this shirt on? It was Matt Sands. Matt Sands. So shout out to Matt Sands. He won one of these IBM shirts. So if you'd like to be like Matt and show up on our annual Oil & Gas Podcast Summit, Promoting IBM, who's a sponsor of the show, is really easy. Go to the show notes, click on the link, register for when. We give away one a week. The most important thing is that unique serial number. But it was just cool to see somebody else wearing our shirt. Right, from a different podcast, even so. Wasn't he on a different podcast? Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't one of OGGN's podcasts. And if audience, you don't know what I'm talking about, end of last week, we invited every relevant oil and gas podcaster in the world to join us, along with all of our sponsors, 
all of our podcasts, all of our vendor partners, and we just have our a great entire time. team. Our entire team, yeah, and it's it was so popular that Paige next year it's going to be a live event. Oh, as wow. long as there's not another, another pandemic. So OGGN will have its first conference, first real life conference next year, and it will be the Oil and Gas Podcaster Summit. So are we going to make OGGN masks? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope we're away from the mask thing by then. But I, I was talking to Justin earlier, and I go, since it's going to be our conference, a couple of things. I'm picking alcohol, and we're having healthy food. <laughs> where did we go where we had sushi at an oil and gas conference? Like oh. Eurotech? Was it Eurotech? It was a pipeline. It was a downstream conference for sure. But that was like, it was. It, it wasn't even bad. No, it was good. In fact, it was healthy. And if audience, you don't know what I'm talking about. Most oil and gas conferences, the food they have there is good, but it's not what I'd put on the healthy scale at No, all. no. It's yeah. like fried. Everything. Fried and just fast food. Yeah. Crap. So, so when we do our conference, we have healthy food. And... Speaking of healthy, I bet this answer is not going to be healthy. What's our rig count? So last time we talked about this, you said it was going to stay above 300. Yep. 295. I was wrong. I admit it. I, I it was, was right. Gonna, you were right. I thought it was going to bottom out at 300, 301, and then start creeping back up. Yeah. So we're about 3% down from last week. But, oh, also, while I'm thinking about it, we had some technical issues with getting episode 205 out, according to Catherine our producer, and she said that she's going to push this at the same time. So you'll have two episodes to listen to by the time you're listening to this. Yes, and audience, we apologize. Yeah, our apologies. We're not quite sure what happens, but stuff like that happens. Thankfully, we have a good team here who spots that and fixes it. And speaking of spotting stuff and fixing it, if you'd like to be part of our street team, which helps us spot things and fix it, really easy. Go to Facebook, search for the OGG and street team group, join. That's our global volunteer group. We do all kinds of cool stuff together. And if you can't find it on Facebook, it, the link is in the show notes. And then I still have this monthly oil and gas events email, which has been popular for a decade. We've quit doing it because everything's locked down. We're going to probably pick back up pretty soon. So if you want to get on that list, it's free. We basically put all the cool oil and gas events in your inbox once a month. Links in the show notes. And then if you want myself or any of the other oil and gas podcasters or our VP of marketing or whoever to come speak at your event, I've actually done three Virtual speaking events since this COVID-19 thing, which was that's not bad. different. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet it was kind of odd. Well, the thing is, is it's odd because I'm not there in person and also I'm being paid for it, which seems kind of weird. And it seems even weirder because what nobody knew is I was in gym shorts. Like I had my <laughs> shirt on. <laughs> I just made sure I didn't You can't really complain gym. about that because it's, I mean, it's comfy. I mean, odd and out of your element for sure. But And then, you know what First Friday Q&A is? It's coming up pretty soon. So That's chance, actually next week. Next week. It's a chance for us to answer your questions. So just go to oilandgasthisweek.com. Click on Ask a Question. If we use your question on the air, you'll get a super big shout out. And then while you're out there, go ahead and go to the website. That's you're at the website. Go ahead and give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. And then join our LinkedIn page page you can join linkedin group too but linkedin page is where all the fun stuff happened and we're i think around forty thousand people that's where we live stream our, our summit that's where we'll live stream stuff in the future so go join that Whew, whole bunch today page uh I know. ready to get out of here yep all right folks remember do great work pay it forward and we will see you next time and here are our events on deck Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. 
So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.